My name is Steve Latcher. And I'm going to invite you this morning to think together among yourselves and with me about a uh, feature of human life not often discussed during the young and the right. If you're a person who has not made mistakes in life, if you have from beginning until you sit here now gotten everything right in life, uh, you have to tolerate the rest of us. <laughs> this is about those of us that have, in fact, made mistakes in particular ways. I mean, we all have a kind of life story that we tell. We describe the things we did. And, I mean, you could always tell the stories the way you put numbers together on a board. 1, 18, 26, 27. Some people have a kind of fractured life that you can't tell how they got where they are now from anywhere before. It doesn't matter whether it's a true story or not. Most stories have a kind of coherence. Uh, if you've overapplied for a job, somebody asks you, you know, where have you worked before? And you try to indicate some connection between one job and the next, or where you went to school and what you do. The same way when people tell the story of their relationships or friendships, they try to make it make some kind of a sense. But nonetheless, there are certain disjunct, so to speak, in the story. It's not all linear happiness from A to B to C to D. And of course, as you tell the story, sometimes you say, that, that thing that I did, that was a big mistake. Really, if I had filed those papers on time, I probably would have kept this job. Or if I called them up and said, I'm so sorry I lost my temper, the friendship probably would have lasted. We all have stories uh, that we, that we, where we think to ourselves, if I hadn't done that, do you need a, do you need this? We think to ourselves, if I hadn't done that, things would have turned out differently. I mean, the same thing's true of positive stuff. You know, it was a good thing I remember my anniversary and sent this uh, terrific present because that, that cemented the relationship. Um, it was a good thing that I decided to make that business trip for an extra day. That, that really put me over the top on sales. It goes both directions. Okay? I mean, it goes in both directions. And for most people, knowing a person's story is the key to knowing who they are in many ways. Uh, and in Rosh Hashanah, we're, we don't have to perceive this. In Rosh Hashanah, we could show up as a, in a law court, make a long list of positives and negatives, check out the ones we did wrong, check out the ones we did right, ask God to add them up and come out with a decision. And there are many people, I think, for whom this works just fine. It's kind of like keeping accounts. It, it won't work if you've made some really, if there's some really big debits on one side of that. You know, you check off, uh, accidentally ate a piece of uh, trace. It's different than checking off killed my neighbor. This doesn't work in quite the same way. And so when you're thinking about it, you can, you can keep accounts. And if you're a natural accounts keeper, today I'm going to ask you to think of yourself more as a storyteller. Imagine you're going on a kind of, for, you're having a meal. Somebody says that you're an interesting person to get to know. They've just been moved to New York. Would you like to have lunch? You say yes. And everybody sits down and have this conversation. Only across the table is going to be God. Okay, let's, let's sit down and talk about it. And you have to talk about your life. So let's talk about your life. So you could say, you could list all this, I yesterday I did this, the day before I did that, but you're going to try to get some picture of who you are. That's the underlying model we're going to use to help us understand one of the most paradoxical Talmudic texts ever. This is a kind of classic Talmudic paradox. 
I put it as number one and number seven, because wherever you start, you should also come back to. So we have a look at the first. Do you need one of these? Have a look at one and seven. I'm going to work out of the English so that, but you're welcome to look at the original when you like, and we'll come back. So I put some of the words on the board. This is a famous, it's part of a long series that talks a terrific amount about how great Teshuvah repentance is. And it begins with Reish Lakish says, you see the number one over on the left hand side of the page. Rachel Akish said, Great is repentance, for because of it, premeditated, intentional sins, so to speak, are counted as errors, as if you made a mistake rather than did it on purpose. And there's a proof text for it. As it is said, Return, O Israel, unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast stumbled in thy iniquity. Got it? So, two different words. Iniquity is pre- premeditated, he says. The, the, Avonecha, the last word of the Hebrew of the Hebrew is, is uh, something that indicates that you did it on purpose. And yet the verb that's used is not a verb indicating that you do something. You don't stumble or fall. Kashal doesn't mean that you deliberately fall down. It means you're trying to walk straight. You need one of these? Please. You're trying to walk along, but instead you stumble and fall. So there's something odd about finding in the same verse a verb, a verb that's used for for unintentionally doing something, and yet a noun, the thing you've done, is, is, sounds like it's premeditated. And the conclusion he draws, this is not so. For Rachel Case said, repentance is so great that premeditated sins are recounted as though they were merits. That's the famous zedonot, premeditated sins, nasalokizachuyot. They get changed into zhu. You're living... I want a source. Don't look it up there to see it. I mean, the, the section in which it's found has been talking about you you did something that's wrong, and now you're very, very sorry for it. That's the shuva, that's the simple minded way of looking at it. What happens to the to the way in which you think about the original thing that you did that was wrong? And the answer is supposed to be, you know what? You Originally, you say, well, I did it unintentionally, but God, after I'm sorry for it, God treats it as if I'd never done it at all, so to speak. But this is really too much. I mean, I intentionally did this thing, and God turns it around and says, forget that you did it intentionally. I'm going to treat it as a positive thing that you did. Now we know we're in the narrative mode. In the narrative mode, intentional mistakes, at the end of the day, can turn out to be crucial and important to being the person who you are. That's the, what, the, what the question that this... That this this morning's uh, meeting is con- connected to. We look back over our lives and we say, that really wasn't right what I did. And yet, I would not be where I am today if I had not done that. It was a mistake in one sense of the term. And maybe we'll see at the end, I even regret that I had to get where I am by doing something like that. But I wouldn't be here at all. With kids, we're used to this. I mean, kids cannot learn except by making mistakes. If you teach someone to read, you can't say, I'll teach you to read under the condition that you always get all the pronunciations correct and you know the meaning of all the words. Okay, learning to read means you make mistakes. They mispronounce a word and you have them correct it. Anyone who's taught anything knows that this is true. That making mistakes, as Dewey said, making mistakes is the key to how you gain them. So on the one hand, you look back over your life. And again, I said, this is not a quote for somebody who's never made mistakes. But for those of us that have made mistakes, sometimes we look and we say, 
that was a pretty serious mistake. And yet the truth of the matter is that long term, I wouldn't have gotten where I got without making that mistake. That's a kind of a paradox that here becomes that God looks at your life. You say that you did something that intentionally was wrong, but you're very sorry for it. You regret that you did it. You decide that you won't do it again. And God all of a sudden treats it as if it had happened to you, so to speak. As if it were a merit. But then, that's a little strange, because of course he says it, and when the wicked turneth from his wickedness and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby, even better. It, it helps him live. It's not a contradiction, they say. One case refers to repentance derived from love and the other due to fear. But we'll have to come back to... Let me stick on. Okay. So what we will be looking at, or thinking about for just a moment is, premeditated sins become errors, and more than that, it, sometimes the things you did that you intentionally did aren't just mistakes, they turn into things that are merits, that are positive benefits. And the difference between them is, if you are sorry from Yira, because you're afraid of the consequences of what you've done, then your intentional mistake is mitigated, so to speak, and it becomes like as if you unintentionally did it. But if you look at it and you're sorry that you did it, okay, and you turn it around because you love God, that's Miyava, then all of a sudden the very thing you did that was so wrong turns out to be the source of something enormously positive in your life. Now, while we're doing this together, I want you to just, in the back of your minds, be going over your own life and thinking, can you think of cases in which you got it wrong, terribly wrong, and yet, somehow, in the end, some of them turned out to be not terrible, but others turned out to actually be some of the sources of your greatest, most positive achievements that you have. Just keep it in the back of your mind, because you'll need real examples in the end to make it real. So we start out. We're going. This is the paradox we have to figure. How is this possible? That's the standard question. How is that possible? I mean, you did something wrong. God's going to go bibbity bobbity boo, and all of a sudden. If I, you know, I know you intentionally did this awful thing, but now it's like a zechut, it's a merit for you, it's terrific for you. How does that, does that make any sense? Or more of, how do they make sense? How can we make sense out of it? And what I suggested at the beginning is we're going to use a model of talking about our lives as if we were telling the story of our lives. So you're telling the story, and you're telling the story of having done something, and done it intentionally wrong. And yet as the story progresses, because you did something else called tshuva, whatever that was, you did something else, and all of a sudden, the very thing that you did transforms over time in your story to be positive at the end of the story. You insert it into your life story, that one activity. And we're all familiar with activities that change things. I mean, it's in a very simple-minded way. This is going to require more work than that. You, know, you do something, and you say, oh, I'm, I'm very sorry I did that, and the person says, oh, forget about it. Instantly, but what could be an incident is turned into nothing whatsoever. So it's not that it's impossible to change one's life. We do that all the time. But this is a pretty big change. We're going to need to explore what altogether this, this means. To do that, let's back up to the Mishnah of which it's a part. And that moves us to number two. That moves us to number two. 
We'll come back to this text, but it moves us to number two. This is the mission for which it is, and it's discussing this process. It's discussing, everybody see where we are? On top, well, you should turn the page over and you have, an, you have, you have the English and the Hebrew. You have 83B, 80, sorry, 85B. Up in the left-hand corner, if you're in the English, you should read 85B. And down at the very bottom of that left-hand side, you see a big word that says Mishnah. And it's talking about sacrifices. The sin offering and the guilt offering, the asham. You did something wrong, it's an asham, it's wrong, you're guilty for what you did, you bring a sacrifice to atone for it. That's kapara, right? And a guilt offering. Okay? You have an ah, you have, you have, you have a, you have, the gift tells us two of them, right? Chatad is the sin offering and asham, but there are two kinds of asham we'll see in a minute. Asham vadai is, you know you did something really wrong, you're certain that you made a mistake, Okay, and they, they do this mechaprim. They affect a kind of kapara. We'll have to talk in a minute about what that's about. That kind of kapara. But let's see if we can get the picture going for a minute. Let's back up and think what it means to have atonement. That's the first thing. So the root concept of Yom Kippur is that we're trying to attain something that's called kapara. We atone for it. Now, the modern way of doing it is you take the word apart and you put it at one minute. Reconciliation with God, etc. All that's true. I mean, that atonement does affect reconciliation with God. But, well, but you don't really think that when this mission was written at that time, that was the only possible meaning. What does it mean to have a kapara? What does that mean? You know what? I brought this korban and I had a kapara. I brought an asham. I did something wrong. I brought the asham. Ah, kapara. I brought an asham. Uh, I brought a kapara. Yom Kippur, kapara. Suffering and misery, kapara. Right, so if we did that and somebody were in this room and we were talking about, how would you explain that to them? Over in the corner, somebody who doesn't have a clue what that language is about. So they say, oh, I hear this big Yom Kippurim is coming up for you folks. What are you going to do? Well, we did wrong things and we have, you know, we atoned for them. They say, what's that? What do you tell them? What do you mean you atoned for them? What's a mark? What is atoning like? What does that mean? What is kapara? Yeah, what do you think? Okay, step number one, acknowledgement. You address. Okay? And you know, you're telling the story, you put it in the story instead of leaving it out of the story. I acknowledge I did it. That's step number one. I tell you the story. By the way, I was not working late at the office, I was watching a movie. Okay? Acknowledgement. You said the second thing? It's a whole process. Acknowledging, it's regretting having. Okay, so I did my I feel bad about having done that. That's moving me closer to this thing called Kaparba. And I'm waiting to hear find out how it turns out at the end. So when do you know that you've had kapara? I really was not at, I gotta tell you this, I was not at the office working late. I actually was um, watching the movie, my favorite movie. And so I came home two hours late, so I didn't get a chance to do any of the things I promised I'd do. Okay? <laughs> and I really regret it. And you know, I'm not gonna do this kind of thing anymore. Okay. We're not a Kapoor yet. I'm, I'm apologizing. I'm so sorry. And you see visible signs of remorse. You say that I'm not just kidding around about it. But so far we have Tishva. I'm repenting. I'm sorry. I regret what I've done. I acknowledge it. I regret it. I say I'm going to change it. I apologize for it. When do we have Kapoor? When the person that you tell to says, 
But they forgive you. Okay, so now they're forgiving you. Step number one. There's something about kapara that has to do with forgiveness. Something that has to do with forgiveness, right? I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. And how do I, if someone's telling us, how do you know when somebody's holding a story, holding something against you? Right. Maybe, maybe they'll mention it to you. That'll be unpleasant, right? That'll be a little unpleasant. What else could they do besides mention it? Change an attitude. Yes, they told change. You come in. Hey, Fritzy, how you doing? <laughs> Bing, walks around by. Wait a second. I forget to send a gift on that apartment. It's fine. I have it there, okay? Why am I getting the cold show? Maybe they'll, maybe they'll actually be right up front of my face. Where was the gift? Or maybe. I'll get a cold shoulder. There'll be some negative consequence that follows. You're telling the story, you said what you've done, and you expect that something that's going to happen is not something good. It's something you don't want to happen. It's a negative consequence. Maybe you have a legal theory of this, or a moral theory that says you're being punished. Or maybe you don't. You'll have to decide what you think your theory is. But we'll all agree that it's negative. We'll all agree that it's negative. Now, once they've forgiven you, Right? Once the forgiveness has occurred, the negative stuff goes away. It goes away. But you can't just make negative stuff go away because you say you're sorry. You discover for, you know, 11 months, someone has been systematically draining your bank account. And now you are four million, four and a half million dollars less than you had. 11 months ago, and they are in the Cayman Islands. You receive a telegram. Very sorry about financial mis mis misbehavior. And you think, that's not going to get us anywhere. How about come home, give me the money back, go to jail? There are a few things that you're going to have to do here, right? Visible signs of remorse, meaning you think to yourself, there's got to be a, if one theory calls it a price that you have to pay. If you're using a legal model, which the Chachamim always use, you go to court, you get judged, you get sentenced. Yes? And why does it come in when the same type of situation comes up again? Well, of course, now you're asking, do, do you, that's the, to the definition of, do you, has he really done this truly? Meaning, that's the shalema part, the complete part. Okay? I'm looking for a moment at the Kephora part. You forgive him on the assumption that, that this was sincere. By the way, if he gets on a plane, he flies back, his lawyer contacts your lawyer and he says, I filed papers admitting guilt. The money's being transferred back to your account. I'm ashamed of what I've done. Okay. Uh, you'll start to think to yourself, okay, let's see, we can move out of you. He really feels terrible about it. We'll see if we can, we'll work something out. Maybe he can build a payment plan. We'll do something. Okay. But the key is that there's a negative. If you look actually at Rashi on the, on the Mishnah, I can get to Rashi on the Mishnah. It's actually on the Gemara. Okay, where Rashi is discussing what kapara is, he gives the definition, and we'll come back to it. We'll come back, but I just want to read it to you briefly. An asham talui. They're discussing an asham talui. That's a case where you're not sure you did something really wrong. So you say, well, if I did get it wrong, I bring in this court. It affects kapara only what, but not necessarily a, a complete one. Since we came back to complete, what do you mean it's not a complete one? It means, he says. Okay. It, it, it protects him from 
suffering from the negative consequences until he knows that he actually really did do something wrong. And then he brings a chatat, then he brings a different korban. But before we get to that, the definition of kapara is, I'm telling you a story, I did something, what I did was wrong, and I expect that the next few parts of the story will be that negative consequences are going to follow. You don't need a kapara for what you take to be a zechut. If you're discussing a success in life, you don't expect negative consequences, you expect positive consequences. All you kippur, I didn't need anything. I really was into davening this year. I was in three shots, so I was davening three shots really into it. I felt really sorry for what I did. I apologized to my friends. And the story doesn't end and I'm miserable and happy and living alone in a park and, you know, and, and, and yeah. It ends with, I feel so much better. I've reconnected with old people. Things are starting again. I don't feel distant from God anymore. I'm close to my children. The whole long list of them. But when you meet a kapora, it means that you're expecting the story will not read like that. She'll never talk to me again. I'm going to get fired. I'll probably have. I'll probably not be able to sleep for nights. We're used to this consequence kind of thing. Again, you may have whatever theory you have. That's a different question. But the key to the telling of the story part is you're telling the story. You're telling A. You're telling B. And then you're saying, and all of a sudden, what intervened was C. And what I expected was negative consequences. But there's some things apparently that you can do to change the consequences you expect. We, I said that's the obvious case. As in, I'm not sure whether I forgot my anniversary or not. That's, I'm not vadai, I'm not certain. If I did, it's really wrong. I'm in big trouble. But on the other hand, okay, maybe I didn't. Did I send that or didn't I send it? I can't remember. And I know I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Well, in a few minutes I'm going to find out, right? In a few minutes I'm about to find out. If I really forgot it, I'm better to talk off the service. I have to be in chaitas. I'm going to have to do something that fully and completely acknowledges that I made a mistake and hope, when you heard the whole process to begin with, that what? That I will end up telling the rest of the story in a, ha- in a happier vein. On the other hand, what am I saying on the way home? I've got you on the phone. I don't really want to talk about it now. I really like to be able to get home. So, but I want to soften you up. So I say, gee, you know, I was thinking a lot about this thing you did and that thing I was thinking. So you, all of you find ways to sort of try to make a connection. Hoping that if you did get it wrong, when you get home, you can put this stupid-looking face on and say, uh, you, I left the flowers at the office. Okay, maybe you'll let me cut a deal and forget it this time. Or maybe you won't lie and you'll just say, I, I forgot you, but let me make it up. You're softening it up. But what you're softening, the key to this per- particular passage is that kapara means the negative consequences are gone. That's what's scary about the discussion of Rosh Hashanah and you're going to be judged, but the consequences of the judgment are going to be that life will be different afterwards than it was before. And if you're judged favorably, it will be different in a favorable way. And if you're judged negatively, it will be different in a negative way. And we're used to telling the story in that kind of a way. And in this Mishnah, it says there are a number of things you can do. They had a system by which you could bring korbanot. We all have systems. And there's no logic whatsoever necessarily to the system except for the participants. In other words, if a Martian comes to the United States and I tell them I forgot my anniversary, I went out and bought flowers, the Martian has no reason to know why that works. In Goodwill Hunting, you remember he's asking, he says, will you go out for caramel sometimes? She says, what? He says, oh, it's just another way of sitting and get together. You go out for coffee, you go for caramels. That's true. Someone says, you want to get together coffee? You want to get together for tea? Would you like to have dinner? These are social things that we do. 
But the same thing's true about how we make up with each other, right? And how we think we make up with God. What counts as a real apology? What counts as making up for it? What is a visible sign of remorse? Every culture has its institutions that allow us to do this. If you don't, you're really absurd. Why? Because you get things wrong and you can't retell the story. And we're looking for the big retelling. That's the first text we look at. The big retelling is, I really did it wrong and I did it on purpose. And nonetheless, now because I've done this chuba thing, it's a marriage for me. Things are better off. So these are the things which worked. If you have a Beit HaMikdash, if you have a system of korbanot, you have sacrifices, and everybody believes in this, then you bring one and you feel that you've done it. No different than, I really wasn't respectful of, I don't know, Uncle Herbie in his lifetime. He passes away, I go to the funeral, step number one, making up the fact that I wasn't so respectful as I should have been. I make a large donation of a grand to Uncle Herbie's synagogue in his name. I did another nice thing to do that, right? I keep looking for things to do. Here's what I don't do. I don't send chocolates to the widow and say, so sorry about Uncle Herbie. Some things work and some things don't. In an era of korbanot, of sacrifices, an achatat, a sin sacrifice, or an asham vadai, or a sacrifice where you know you did something wrong, it affects kapara because in the minds of all the participants, after this is over, there will be no negative feedback from God. If you're really sorry, huh? Just a question. Is there a distinction between kapara and shiva in terms of like integration of the bad thing to a good thing? Like is kapara like you put an isolated you put like bad thing in an isolated part and then it's all go away versus like shiva is like a bad thing and you turn it into a good thing, so it's like more of integration into it. Well kapara the way we're talking about it so far, it's a good question. If we were talking about it so far, kapara comes at the end of the shiva process. Okay? You're telling your story and you're saying, I'm really sorry I did this. I acknowledge that I did it. I apologize for doing it. I take it upon myself not to do it again. I make a serious effort. You can see that I'm making the effort. And then the question is now, am I forgiven? Meaning, is there now the negative consequences gone or are they not gone? That's the Kapura piece. Like a kofar is something that gets you out of having to pay the price for something. The kofar nefesh means that you killed somebody and guess what? Do you... You, in addition to whatever punishment you have, you have to what? You have to indemnify the family because that gets rid of some of the negative consequences. Tshuva is what gets you there. And it comes from different... What we've seen is it depends on what your intentions are. Okay, a, the, the original chata, these are cases where you, you know what's going on and you do it intentionally. That's zadom, intentional. That's the top thing on there. Zadom, you intentionally do something wrong. I'm sure it's not true of you, but me and my friends and my family, we actually sometimes do things intentionally wrong. And then after we've done it, we said, whoa, that was a nice thing I did. But if you said, did you know what you were doing? The answer would not be, oh no, it was all accidental. I knew this was a nasty remark to make a made anyway. Then after I hear it come out of my mouth, I think to myself, oh boy, that was, what did I do that for? Yeah, they're not the same, are they? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. I'm confused about the meaning of the term. What is the term? Which term are we talking about? Kapara. Kapara so far is. What is it? Etymologically, what is it? Why do we say atonement? Why do we say in English, say atonement? 
I don't know the answer to that question. I said to begin it. That's why I don't know the answer. But isn't, doesn't Thomas also have, have the double sense of, of both the process and the forgiveness? It can. It can. I said in, I said in English, the modern move is to say atonement at one minute. But I'm not so sure that's going to work in, a, in, the, in the rabbinic texts. Rabbinic texts, kapara is usually associated with the activity which removes the negative consequences. Yeah, they stop. You were going to be punished, you're not going to be punished anymore. The Rashi I'm reading to it says, okay, during this period, when you're not sure whether you did something wrong or not, but you did take steps, you brought this asham tole, okay, you haven't completely avoided negative consequences, but for the moment, it's put on hold to protect you from the suffering that would come from having done this thing. Suspension? Yeah, sure. That's that that's that's a that's not kapara the complete kapara be no suspension of it's forgiven altogether. I won't have any negative consequences. The kapara means there's no more negative consequence. So you're telling your story and you realize I told you the story and now you expect the next thing that I'm gonna say is about how things went bad. Because I should be punished for what I did. You know, I stole your wallet, the police arrested me, they took me to court, the rest of the story is not gonna be enough to let the mayor of New York. It's gonna read differently. How do you not know if you've done something wrong? I mean, how is something... Ah, very good question. Give me an example of where you could do something wrong, but you're not sure whether it's right or wrong or not. I'll give you the classic example from the top in a minute. But can I make examples come to your mind? I'll come back here. Where you, you did something, it might be wrong, but it might not be wrong. You're not sure. And you could clarify. You could maybe ask people to clarify. The classic example of text is, you eat, there are two things sitting in front of you. One is the fat from a korban, which you're not allowed to eat, and it's very serious if you do. The other is just a piece of fat from an animal. Okay, you eat one, thinking at the time, of course, that you ate. Then you're, you're which one did I eat exactly? And you're not sure whether you ended up whether you ate one that was from the prohibited fat or one that was permitted. So you're really sorry if you ate the wrong wrong thing. You would like to make up for it. So, but on the other hand, there's no point in bringing the korban if you didn't eat the wrong thing. So you bring what's called an asham talu. You say, if it's the case. Now, we might be able to clarify it later. Somebody says, you ate that one? That was the korban. I'm sorry, that was the, uh, the one from the sacrifice. So now I go back and I bring the correct one. Now, think of an ordinary example. We don't do sacrifice. We do other things. Where you're saying to yourself, I'm not sure. I did this. And then I think, did I? Did I send that or did I not send that? Did I send the promise for gift? Did I send that gift for the wedding? Did I send that one? Did I send you the email telling you that the family meeting was moved from 12 to 3 in the afternoon? Did I, did I do that? Did I tell you that the rest of us have decided we're getting out of this stock and moving to another one? Did I, did I remember to tell you that? Did I tell you the right name or the right stock? I said, you know, we're, we're all moving from this to this. You're a good friend, I want to let you know. Can I give you the right stock name? If I didn't, you lost, what, 50 grand yesterday because of my stupidity. If we got it right, I saved you 100. But what did I do? I don't know what I did. So there are things we do to ease into it. To sort of suggest that I'm trying to be nice about this. And then I want to break it to you. Once we clarify it, i got to make it up to you. 
If it turns out I did not do the right thing, I didn't tell you that the move, move, meeting had been moved to 3 o'clock, I have to do something to make it up to you. But in the beginning, I'm saying, you know, I just, you know, I can't remember it, so I don't know what to do. I mean, it sounds like there are different cases. There are times it sounds like when you don't really want to know what you did, and there are other times when well, I guess that depends on how, it's always, whenever you tell a story of your life, sometimes you think to yourself, I'd rather, if no one had noticed that mistake, it would have been fine, but if they noticed it, but, nobody, but I didn't notice it, maybe that would have been fine too. There are times when we'd rather sweep things under the rug, that's why, that's why there's a phrase, from hidden sins, clear me. There are all kinds of things we did. You know, you sit around, this is a classic story, I didn't make this up, actually, it was made up by Carmen Lumen. Yeah, on this why in the Psalms. It says, cleanse me from hidden sins, from hidden things. So what do you mean hidden things? He says, look around the room, he says to people. You all know each other. There's somebody in this room who has a particular character fault. And everybody in the room knows that they do, but they don't know that they do. Everybody knows. You go to a party, you think, they don't realize, they're so, they just can't shut up. Everybody knows that they're such a nice person, we don't care. Well, we don't care. We live with it. No, all right, so we just, I find it. Excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom. I get out of here. Okay, whatever it might be. Everybody knows this. Or this, you know, this guy in a sense is sort of real cheap. You say, he doesn't think he's cheap, but we know he's cheap. He says, now, did it occur to you that other people in the room are looking at you and thinking something about you? <laughs> that must be true. Right? That, must, that must be true. I mean, they know about me, but I don't know about myself. And since we've all lived long enough, that's the advantage of teaching anybody over age five, is you live long enough to realize there were things you never knew about yourself when you were 10, so to speak. And now that you're a little bit older, you realize about yourself. Okay, so you realize, oh, wait a second, everybody knew but me. And that's true. So there are things you're right that we don't want to know exactly, that we hide from ourselves. But in this process of tuba, we're not doing that. Why? Because there's a cost to it. You see, if, you're, if you tend to be very... You're not very generous with people, but you don't know that you're not very generous. It isn't true that it won't cost you anything. It'll cost you. If you drink too much, and you're the only one that doesn't know it, everybody else says, why do you get drunk at every party? But there's still a negative cost. People still avoid you when there are many occurrences. And your family isn't thrilled. You've got a bad temper, but you don't think of it that way. You just think of it as every once in a while I express myself forcefully. Okay? <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody else in your family is not thinking that way about you. So there are going to be costs. To all of this, in, in this Mishnah says, this Mishnah has a system of the more serious it is, the, the bigger the, the payoff has to be. Okay. And I'm going to look now at the Gemara and then give you some time to work on, the, on, a, on a problem, a little bit of Chiruta time, just 10 minutes to look on to work on a particular problem. Look at how the Gemara itself deals with this issue to begin with. Okay. It quotes the, the Mishnah. It's two word, two and three here, I think, if I'm going to make sure I get where I belong. It quotes the. Um, it asks. It says. Well, it says that on Asham Vadaya, an undoubted guilt offering, atones. Everybody see where we are in Gemara? We're on six eighty-five B. The Mishnah had said the sin offering and the guilt offering, the undoubted commission of certain expenses, procures atonement. You bring a guilt offering for undoubted commission. You know for sure you did something wrong. So they say only the undoubted ones. 
didn't mention what about the case where it's suspense suspense means I don't know what it is that's totally I don't really know whether I did something wrong but I want to do the right thing so I brought this I brought this asham talui I brought this sacrifice I did this middle range thing before it's been clarified but what do you mean just okay, guilt, the guilt offering for undoubted commissions even the sort of doubted commissions it also calls them what kapara it says it procures atonement. So it says these others, that is to say the first two things mentioned in our Mishnah, the sin offering, the chatat, and the asham vadai, and the guilt offering for undoubted mistakes, they really get you complete atonement. After that, there are no negative consequences. But the asham talui, the one that comes when you're not really sure about it, it doesn't get you complete atonement. That's answer number one to the question, how come it only mentions this one? What's it, it only mentions an, un, an undoubted guilt offering? What about the ones where the doubt exists? Okay. Then it says, or else it gives you, always gives you two answers. Always gives you two answers in this case. For these others, the asham, that is, I knew I did something wrong and I did it, or the, or the chatat, where I'm certain about it, something else could also do the job. Whereas in the case of an asham talui, if, if we don't really know if we did something wrong, nothing else can, get, can do the job of, of making up, of doing atonement. And here's the proof of it. The proof is for it was taught. For those who are liable to sin offerings or guilt offerings, if you had to bring a sin offering, if we know you had to make something wrong, you had to bring a guilt offering, we had no question about your guilt. You know what? If you missed it, the Day of Atonement came and permitted the Day of Atonement to pass. It went by. And you know what? You, uh, there's, there, 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 you don't have to bring it. But what about, what about, um, th then you're still obliged to offer them up. But it's the case of those who are liable to suspensive good offerings, they're exempt. And then you look at the note down on the bottom and it says, and it gives you a source, that's all. Okay, so according to this, okay, if you, if you had to bring a chatat, if you had to bring an asham vadai, okay, okay, and the, and Yom Kippur went by, you still have to bring. You still have to bring them. But supposing you know, if you, supposing you weren't entirely sure, and Yom Kippur went by, you don't have to bring it again. So think about how it's just here to get the picture clear. They, they give two answers. The original question was: the Mishnah only talks about a suspense, an asham tabuli, a case in which I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm bringing this asham just in case. And then it says, "Yeah, well." I'm sorry, the, the mission is not to talk about it where I am sure. What about what I'm not sure, says the Quran? What about what I'm not sure? What's the difference between those two different Korbanot? So they, they give us two answers to what the difference is. If I bring, if I know for sure that I did something wrong and I bring my Korban to do it, then I've gotten rid of the matter completely. But if I'm not really sure and I bring this Korban, I haven't gotten rid of it. We're just waiting to find out did I really get it right or wrong or not. That's the most obvious. But there's a second one that's very clever too, which is, I did something I know was wrong. Completely know was wrong. But when Kippur came, I did not bring my Korban. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. What about afterwards? Do I say, well, you know what? Yom Kippur took care of that. I mean, I was on a fast all day. Yom Kippur, I was miserable. I was unhappy. Who needs this awesome thing? Okay. And then it turns out, no. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. You got to go back and do it. But what if I'm not sure that I'm wrong? And Yom Kippur, I go on Yom Kippur. I really should have done something. I should have done something, but I'm not sure. And pay enough attention. Next thing I realize, it's after Yom Kippur, 
Has the story changed or not? According to this, the story's changed. All of a sudden, yes, you should have probably brought the Asham Tula. You really should have brought the score. You should have done that thing. But you didn't. All right, it's okay, because Yom Kippur itself is enough that you're set back right again. So you've got the difference between the two. Okay, and what I'd like you to do is to try to think of real, for a moment, what is the meaning of that difference? Just find somebody around you okay, for a couple of minutes. Okay, remember what the problem is. The problem is the mission that talks about what happens for an Ashram Badai, a Corbin that's done when you know for sure you did something wrong. And then they say, yeah, but what about the case where you don't know for sure? And they distinguish that from the first case in two ways. When you don't know for sure, if you don't do it, okay, but, you're, but it's Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur's enough. If you know you for sure you did something wrong, Yom Kippur is not going to get rid of it. You still have to bring your court. Whatever that thing is that you have to do to set things right, Yom Kippur will not replace it. You've got to do the thing that you said. Whereas if you weren't really sure, Yom Kippur will replace it. Yom Kippur will. Yom Kippur, some other will do this. Okay? And the first one, that's, that, that's number two. And number one was the, the obvious one that we talked about before, which is that it's not a complete atonement. If I don't really know whether I did something wrong, I can't completely atone for it. And you have to, it's only completely atone for it. When is it complete? When you acknowledge the full thing that you did. But if I don't know that I did something wrong, I can't fully acknowledge it. If I'm not entirely sure if I did or didn't inform you about the stock situation, I can't wholeheartedly say I'm sorry. So they said that that's, the, that's another difference between Asham Ta Asham Badai, the case of where I know for sure that I did something wrong and I'm trying to fix it, versus Asham Talui, I'm not so sure. So have a look at the text, go back inside. I did it outside. Go look inside now for a few minutes. And just kind of come up with some examples. Because we don't bring Asham. We're all going to run, we're all going to go into to, to, uh, to, to Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. We are not bringing any sacrifices. But we better be doing something else. So we have to figure out what is it, or the kind of things that we do, and how is it similar. Yes? Yeah, that was my question. What do we do today? Because we don't have okay, so that's what I'm asking you to think about for a while. You try to. What happens if you did something intentionally wrong, 100% wrong, right. but if you apologize to the person, it could be disastrous? It's, it's worse. The consequences will be worse. How do you... How I do want you to go back to that. Hang on to this. And that's a way of saying, I'm telling a story. In this story, I've really done something that's really terrible. And I would like to apologize. But I realize that I do tell the story by my apologizing. What will happen is the story will go in a negative direction, not in a positive direction. What do you do then? Because we have a model for it. So we'll come back to it if we can figure out this. You know what do you know if you did wrong or not? Then we'll come back to this question at the end when we say, how do you turn positives into negatives? So hold this question for a minute, we'll come back to that question. For the minute, just look inside for a moment, either the translation of the original, whichever you like. Take five minutes to come up with an example, okay, of where you would say, this is a case of it's really wrong, and if you fix it, you're completely forgiven. This is the case where it's partially kind of, I'm not sure, I wouldn't be sure if it was right or wrong. What I do know is that I can't be completely fixed till I find out whether, whether things went right or wrong. An example of where you know this is really wrong, and no matter what, I've got to make up for it, period. No matter what, Yom Kippur or something else. And another case where you'd say, I'm not entirely sure if what I did was wrong, but somehow or other, if Yom Kippur came and I was right, Bay, probably Yom Kippur, I'd feel better at the end of it. 
Does your paper ever work for anything? In other words, or is it just a social occasion? Does it ever work for anything? I don't know if I got that wrong. Okay, but I know if I was sincere on Yom Kippur, I'd probably forget. So take a few minutes to do that. No more than five to ten minutes. Everybody see what I'm asking you to do? Yes? If no, I'll go over it again. You're going to try. If you're confused, it's going on today. You need to put a period on the moment.
the city was created and you showed us on the data bank, we were still not really sure if that was going to be valid. Then that was a way to be there. Transform from being intentional sin to something that actually turns out that at the end of the day 
you say to yourself, in my life story, that mistake turns out to have been intentional and wrong too. It turns out to have been crucial to something positive. But let's see the example. What are the examples you came up with? Anybody want examples? Yeah. My daughter-in-law is newly married and had, huh? had a registry from Bed Bath. Yeah. All the gifts came to my home. However, I have a daughter who got married three months before from gifts, also came to me. <laughs> 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 we had the corner of the apartment, those were boxes. Whose gifts are whose? After a while, it gets very confusing. Yeah. And let's make returns. That's the Ashton Tullowy. Did I return the right gift? Did I not return the right gift? <laughs> I think I think it was your your maybe I returned the other one. What did I do? Okay, good. Confusion, right? The same. We don't get confused over kinds of fat. We don't get confused over equal sources of gifts. That's right. Whose thing did I really? Who did I? Who did I borrow the money from? And then it's in my apartment, and then you know, taking up space. Maybe I should take it. Use it. Okay, other examples that people came up with? Excellent, yeah. I mean, I just used an example, say, that you were having an event and that you you were sending so many emails, making so many phone calls that someone was unintentionally left off, or you thought that you invited them. And, and then all and of a sudden, that's right. That's right. When you're more than embarrassed and excited to see you're sitting across the table from somebody, getting shul, the fact that Every, you know that everybody else is invited to the party, but you're not. They forget you, or do they really talk right. about you off? Right. 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 They don't know what to do with it. But that person always did I invite him or did I not invite him? Right. Whose gifts did I invite him that I not invite him exactly? If I knew for sure I didn't invite him, I'd know what to do. If I knew for sure that I gave your gift to some to the wrong person, I'd know what to do. But what if I don't? And they're not the same kind of case. Others? Anybody else? We were talking about examples where it's more that like you don't really know if you did the right thing or not. It was like a fuzzy situation and there were two options in front of you and you chose one, but you're not sure it was right. So it's less of like, do I remember correctly? Did you come up with a specific example of where you're not sure? Um, so you want as much as possible to look for specific examples. Reason is that, that you, you, you get a lot more thinking to yourself, what's a case where I really, I'm not sure whether I did the right thing or not. Now here we have two examples of that. But it could just be, I'm not sure if it's the right or wrong thing to do. So do you have anything in case it comes to mind? That you can share. I mean, we all we all <laughs> We're not going to start telling everybody in the room what those... I, should I really have beaten a daily thought of him? I don't know. <laughs> I have a certain example. So, like, say you're, um, you have till like, you offer a ride, like, you offer someone a ride somewhere, so, oh, and then you completely forgot, and then you had, like told three other people that they can have the space, and now there's no room for that first person. So you know you messed up, but like, who do you tell? Like, do you tell the first person, sorry, I actually filled up the car afterwards and you can't come? Or do you kick off one of the people that you've already had right. off, that you have to make a decision of like, who That's right, you're not sure. Yeah, it's a good example, and you're not yeah. sure what to do. You know you can't get them all back, but you say to the, the last person, I'm really sorry I should not have offered you that space, and I realized that you missed the boss back. Well, you know, like you, whatever it might be. Or do you just act like, I, you know, uh, did I tell you I can do right? What do you do exactly? Another example. Are you looking for examples where you're not entirely sure? See, Zadon is the clear alternative. Meaning, I really offered you right out of sheer guilt, but, but 
Now that you're not coming back with me, I'm still beyond belief. So when I see you walk into the bathroom, I hurry everybody out into my car and drive off and lie to your face next time and say, really, I totally forgot. I'm so sorry I lied to you. Right? We all know how to do that. We know how to do that. And so you could do it the same way, you know. I really would, I always thought this daughter-in-law should get that present rather than this one. So I just accidentally switched them. To, really? Really? Now what do I have to say? I'm a jerk. I'm a lousy mother-in-law. Forgive me. What do you do? Right? I, I didn't want to really invite him. Right? But I see him sitting across from me now. I'm thinking to myself, I'm sort of pretending I got confused, but I wasn't confused. It was Zadon. I knew exactly what I was doing. See, the key to Zadon is it's intentional meaning. I know what I'm doing and I know that it's wrong. In the Ashram Talui, I don't know that it's, I don't, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not sure I know really what I did. I don't know what I did exactly. Did I invite him or not? Which, whose gift got what thing? Who did I promise rights to in what order? How did that go exactly? It gets more and more confusing as you go on. So you think to yourself, yeah, there's a big difference. Now, in these cases, <clears throat> let's look at the two possible yes. Uh, just the Ashram No, no, in principle you could know. You might find or out. You could know. Okay. In these cases you could find out. And if you do but find out... Talui is the in-between stage. Correct, but it's not a permanent situation. And that's what makes the difference in the case of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur happens. Okay, and then you discover you did make it. You did get it wrong. Yom Kippur happens and you find out you did not invite him. Yom Kippur happens and you find out you sent the gift to the wrong person. Yom Kippur happens and you find out you really did promise a ride to this person. But, and you, and, but you decided, I, I really should have, I should have stuck to the order. You decided, I should have stuck to the order I started. Okay, now, it's after Yom Kippur. Do you have to do anything about it? Yom Kippur, you thought about it. It was bothering you. You were sorry about it. I mean, if, you know, you're, you, 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 you know what you're going to do afterwards. But you've, now the, according to this, somehow other on Yom Kippur, magically, the negative consequences disappear. I can't remember if I invited you or not. And Yom Kippur, it's bogging the day out, daylight out of me. I'm telling God I'm really sorry. Okay? And of course, if you were around, I would do something about it. But it's not. So I don't get a chance to bring my asha. I don't get a chance to do anything to fix it. Yom Kippur is over. Do I have to worry about it? The answer is no, according to this. Not, I mean, yes, if you find out you really didn't invite him. And no, if you didn't. But, but if, if you... If you don't know, and then at the end it turns out you didn't invite him, if you went on your kipper, that's enough. How can that be enough? You didn't invite, you thought maybe I did invite him, maybe I didn't. I, I invited this person, that person. You, it's, oh, you can roll things, you think, what have I done? I don't think I invited Phil to our mitzvah. Oh my God, what have we done? I've got him showing him for 15, 20 years. This guy said anything, everybody else got invited, but that's why I got left out. What have I done? No one is looking at me funny all that time. Somebody says, Phil, you didn't invite Phil. Phil told us five times you didn't invite him. He says, oh my God, what have we done? Okay, so Jim Kipper, but Phil's not around. He can't do anything. The whole Jim Kipper is bothering you, bothering you, bothering you. What a jerk I was. I don't believe I, I should pay better attention. Now, at the end, of course, you're probably going to do something for Phil. But according to this, Kapora you have. The course of your life has been changed. How's that possible? Yeah. Is there no distinction in the situation Excellent question to ask. Because the classic examples of, of eating the wrong kind of fat is between God and you. 
Okay? So God, Yom Kippur will not be Mechaparan on Averis bin Adam Chavirov. So I think your first answer is correct. The difference of the case would be Phil, you still got to apologize for not inviting him. You still have to apologize. God's been apologized to on Yom Kippur. If I ate fat that I wasn't, if I did what you didn't want me to do, Lord, okay, I really was supposed to do something and make it up to you, but I didn't. I thought to myself, I'll give extra tzedakah if I got it wrong. But I forgot, I never gave it tzedakah. So Yom Kippur came, you'll forgive me, Lord. But if it's a person involved, then what you still have to deal with the person. So you still have to deal with that person. The only thing Yom Kippur will do for you is what? Remove any sense you have that what you've done is an offense against God. Interfere with your relationship with God. So if you didn't invite him and was bothering you, think to yourself, you know, you're a what have I done? I was embarrassed in front of this guy. You still have to apologize to that guy. You keep really addressing your relationship with that guy. The same way, some kinds of things are used to make up with people. Now, what's the what's the yom kipper between people? Yom kipper doing nothing. What's the yom kipper between people? Where in this? Pardon me. Purim. That's a brilliant answer. Um, classically, Yom Kippur is Purim is Yom Yom Kippurim. This is a classic. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to go that way. So I'll give you a in a year, so it's great. Yom Kippur and Purim are, are classically compared. That Purim, yeah, Yom Kippur is Yom Kippurim. It's like Purim. So she says, you, the day you make up for all the stuff that you got wrong is Purim, right? That's Purim. How does that work? How is that possible? It's Purim, right? Phil and I are there on Purim, or, or the, 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 both the presents, the daughters, they're all there on Purim, or the people who are supposed to ride the car, everyone's there on Purim. But we haven't had any conversations about any of it. We haven't had any conversations about any of it. Because okay. conversation is the usual way to straighten this out. That's the Asha. I call them and say, I'm sorry, I may have sent the gift to the wrong person. I'm sorry. I didn't invite you. I apologize. It was an error. But it's poor. How does poor work to, to be macabre? Yeah. I guess three ways. Okay, so let's take the first thing. One of the things that happens on Purim is that people who are otherwise who are connected in fact but not aware of their own connection surface that connection and express it. So I'm aware that I'm connected to all the poor people in my community. But I don't think, maybe I donate to a to school fund and things like that. But I don't consciously necessarily do it. On Purim, I do matanot kevyonim. I make it my business. I have friends all over, but who, you know, who sends them gifts on Purim? Yudim. That shows the connection that you have. Seudat Purim is we all sit and eat together. Together, together, together is Purim. So you would say, maybe it's possible, maybe. Then, but step one on Purim is, it brings, by bringing people closer together, is step one of the tshuva process of acknowledging that we want to be close together in some important way. You got to go farther than that because acknowledging it is in the tshuva process. You got to be, you know that you made a mistake. Phil and I are together on Purim, right? That's going to be magic, and all of a sudden when we leave, Phil's going to say to himself, "That's the answer. I forgive him. It doesn't really matter. Just Purim. Let's say it doesn't really. We haven't thought about it. I, I, I should have called, but I was embarrassed to call Phil. It's just too embarrassing to call him." Try that sometime. Try calling somebody, Arab Yom Kippur, and saying, I'm really sorry I said this thing to you. I apologize. I think you've lost your blue mind. 
<laughs> Even though everybody knows you're supposed to do that. If you'd actually try to do that, something, you're great, what? Okay? But so I'm embarrassed. I'm not going to call. I don't call Phil, but it's Purim. She's got me on Purim. And there we are. Phil and I are in the same shul in Purim. And we're celebrating Purim together. But somehow, that's, how is this, how is that going to transform our story? Think about it for a minute. Okay? Purim's brought us together. We've got that so far. That's peace. Purim has brought us together. What, what else about Purim will transform the relationship with Phil? Hmm? You don't have to be yourself on Purim. Yes, Purim. I don't. Yes. Okay. So, all kinds of ways that who I used to be, I'm not. Excellent. Okay. One of our rituals is maybe I act like somebody else. Okay? And I said the things that I was afraid to say because I'm being somebody else. I'm being somebody else. I actually did have a patient like that once. He did a horrible thing to his wife. And it was getting in the way of long term success in marriage. And um, it wasn't Purim, but it was another occasion. I said, dress up as somebody that you're not, you know, so that she's not, if you're not taking, so you don't feel like yourself, and do the thing that you're afraid to do. And he did, and it worked. She just played along when she saw how hard he was trying. She just fell for it and let him do it. Okay, so one possibility is, you know, we're all going to get together for this Purim, and so and I are sitting there together, this time I did invite him, right? And we get closer together for this one. Any other things that happen besides that? I, I pretend I'm somebody else. What else happens on Purim? Things are tossed Yes. You see, all of a sudden, the, the, the firm rules are released a little, relaxed a little bit. And what, if you think about it, this I've seen work more than once. This is, a guy, I think, a guy's one than a woman's story. But, okay, it does work with Phil and me. I begin to drink Phil and me. It's a war Pretty soon, I love Phil. You love me. We're crying and hugging each other. I love you, Phil. I love you, Steve. We don't have to mention any more of the school departments. We'll never talk about it again. It doesn't matter. We're both so drunk we can't stand up. And the next morning, Phil, Phil and I read it together. So, pretending you're somebody you're not, okay? Getting so drunk that you really don't, you forget all the reasons that you don't pull the barriers down. And that's where we're coming now to the end, this particular ending of it. If you go, if you go to number seven now, it's both one of, the original text we looked at said, here is this mystery, the great mystery according to Rachel Lakish is that Chuvet First, that intentional sins are turned into unintentional ones, ones that are done by error or mistake. Then it goes yet farther and says, no, even intentional sins with the right kind of tshuva can become like merits. They can actually turn the story around and make it positive. So the answer was, how is that positive? Their answer was, if you do tshuva meira, if you're sorry because you're afraid of the negative consequences that will follow, in that case, your intentional sin becomes almost unintentional. I mean, the things that we do and I think there's a genius to this. In all these cases, they're specific society, they're linked to the context, but we all have similar examples. You did something wrong, and the truth of the matter is that you know you did it wrong, and when you did it, you did it on purpose. But you are sorry. You are sorry, there's no question about it, you're sorry. But the reason you're sorry is that it's messing up your life. You know, yes, I should stop telling you that I'm coming back into the office doing work instead of going to the I should just be straight and say what I'm doing and work it out. But I can't take it, so I don't do that. But anyway, it's not going to work out like this. I've got to find some way to, to make it. This is ruining our relationship, all this lying. So he's not lying. 
It's painful, it's difficult, the people forget it and why? Okay. But you did it because I can't, you know, there's all this glaring and upset and anger, screwing it up, like spills it across the table from me, and he isn't happy. Or the people I took in the car, somebody continues to suspect me, and when we go to parties or places, I am sure that person looks at me funny. Or, I don't want my, you know, I want my car to look happy with me. I love my kids. I want them to be happy. It's what I call pragmatic chuba. It's perfectly, that's chuba mirror. There are two levels of mirror. One is mirror in law, the high level of mirror, which is awe. That's not what's being discussed in this tomorrow. Ordinary mirror is, mirror of fear is what separates us. When you're afraid of something, you step back. And there's more or less. There's a kind of fear that's respect. Like something that's very big and powerful, you step back. And something that's awesome, like Niagara Falls, you step back, but you can't believe it. But it's stepping back. It's a stepping back. I don't want the story to go on this way. That's that's Chuba Mehira, so to speak. And it says if you do that, what you did originally, that you meant to do, that you know you got wrong, all of a sudden when you start retelling the story, the story turns out that it's still wrong, but it's not as wrong as it was, so to speak. Meaning that the consequences are mitigated. Because I, I, want, I want to clue you out, and you clue you out. We tell a common story. You remember that I did it wrong. I remember that I wasn't. Phil remembers that he wasn't invited and that he was overlooked. But he treats it now as if I'd done it by mistake. Because I approached him and made things nice. It, just, it, just, it becomes an as if story, as if a mistake. Yes, you know what I'm self-centered. I'm a self-centered, you know, egotistical person, so I forgot our anniversary, because the truth of the matter is that's the way I am. But it's ruining our relationship. So all of a sudden I have five people call me and I tell you I'm really sorry, and I and I, I remember it again. But you know it's because I want the relationship to work out okay. Okay, then you behave as if I didn't do it on purpose. He says, okay, you forgot it. Just send me some we'll makeup. It's okay. Because you you want the story to go on too, in that way. Phil and I both want that. We want that. Everybody wants to go on in that way. That's different than true of me, Abba. Abba is not something that you step back and separate it from. Abba, love is bringing things close together. Love is where you do something in order to bring yourself closer. Returning to God out of fear, if you return to God because you're afraid God will hurt you. Returning to God out of love is because you want a better relationship with God. There's a whole different experience. Everyone knows that. If I forgot the anniversary and I realized, my God, what have I done? If I, if I, if I apologize because I love you, that's very different than that I'm afraid of our, our, our relationship. Doing something out of love means this should bring us closer together. Not cool us out and, and make it livable, but to bring us closer together. So you look at the, the model also that Rachel Keys uses is terrific. If you look at number seven, Number seven is, ah, let me find it myself here. Pei Vav Amit Beit, 86B. Did I get that right? Is that right? Where is it? No, I got no, I got the wrong number seven. Just a minute. I'll get there. Pei Vav Amit 85A. Sorry, 86A. Down over in the, in the English translation, it's on the, on the right-hand side of the page, about three-quarters of the way down. Rav Chamed Bar Chanina said, greatest penitence, Gedola Tshuva, greatest penitence, where it brings maybe refuah re, 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 it brings healing to the world. Everybody see where we are? Yeah. 
Okay, it brings healing to the world. It's a great image. It heals things. Rabbi Chaim Rabbi Hanina pointed out a contradiction. It says, return you backsliding children. Banim Shovedim. You come, those come back. That is, you were formerly backsliding. And it's also written, I'll heal your backsliding. But which are you? Are you backsliding or are you healed? Without the backsliding. It says, there's no difficulty. Where you remain backsliding children, you return because you were, you were afraid. Where God heals your backsliding and you're no longer backsliding, you no longer want to get away from God, you did it out of love. That's the picture. Backsliding means I'm, I'm backing, I'm not doing what God wants. Now if I'm afraid because of that, I think, you know what? Uh, this has been a rough year. This has been a rough year. It's been a really rough year. Most of the people have a really rough year. We don't want another young kid. We don't want another year like, like the present. We want a better year. We really do want a better year. Okay. So they're friends of mine, I know for sure. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, if there were something I could do to fix this, I would fix it. I don't want another year like this year. But that's I don't want another year like this year. Okay. I want to step away from the consequences of what I did. I'm going to cool it out. That's to, that's true of the year. That's different than someone who says, forget what kind of year I had. Look what I did to the people I love, to the God that I love whether it's between you and God or God and somebody you love. You know, when you're through, when I was a kid once, the entire time I was a child, my father hit me twice. Once he hit me with a belt because his father, his father instructed him that that was the race to raise children. He, he got so upset that he treated me with a belt. He got so upset that he never, never did it again. He just was so upset. And once my brother and I were having a fight in the morning, I still remember this, a huge fight. My father came in and said, that's enough, cut it out. That's it. But I didn't let it go. And I'm screaming, my brother bashing and pushing against the wall. Out of nowhere, Dad appears in the door, and he's really angry. And he starts banging on me. And I got scared. I'm like, he's going to beat me. And ah, he caught his breath and went back to the car. Okay? It's the only other time you're going to have an insecure. My mother said, later on during the day, she said, your, your father was broken up. He cried the whole day. And he, and he, and he, and he was just kind of like that. He cried the whole day. He didn't want to avoid that we'd be on bad terms. He loved me stand the thought that he'd actually beaten up somebody he loved. It wasn't just whether I, whether I treated nicely or not afterwards. One doesn't want to do that. When you hurt the people you love, when you hurt God and you love God, when you, do, when you, when you love something, you don't want to hurt it. You cherish it. You care about it. You care about that person. If you have a, if you have a, a painting that you love a great deal, and accidentally you bump against it and damage that painting, it's terrible. Not because it's going to lower the price or you're going to have to get the painting fixed, but because something beautiful was damaged by you. If you hurt people that you love, your children, your friends, it doesn't matter, even if you, get, even if you could get away with it, so to speak. You don't want to get away with it, because you want to be close. You don't want to get away, you want to get closer. That kind of tube is a healing process. That's the kind of... So, Let's think about how does that, that conception of tshuva as a healing process, which when it's done out of love, as opposed to when it's done out of fear. There's nothing wrong with doing it out of fear, by the way. You know, if, you have a, if you say nasty things to people and you stop saying them because you, you want to you be able to have friends, that's better than saying nasty things. Okay? But if you stop saying nasty things to people because you realize that it hurts people and you love them and care about them, that's yet better. Now, use this idea... This is what I'm asking you to do now. Use this idea in one Gemara, which is that in the end, healing comes from the desire, what, the ahava, to, to, to do repentance, to return, because you, lo- you either love God, because you love God, 
And that, that's the magic transformer. That's the thing that takes the story and says, this was a mistake, and I did it intentionally. But because I'm now going to turn things around because I love God or because I love the person or both, that very thing is going to turn into something yet better. Use that notion to explain how it's possible that an, an intentional thing that I did that was wrong, I regret it, of course. But now all of a sudden it's turned out to be a zahud. It's actually a merit. It makes things work better. He's thinking, how does that happen? I'm asking you to, to redefine something becoming a merit or better as something which brings people closer together or brings you closer to God. How can you take something which was originally really wrong and turn it into something which brings you to closer to other people or to God or both? Yes? So you may take something out of anger to a friend and, and apologize, but when apologizing, you tell them something about yourself and why that triggered that anger. And you give a piece of yourself. And all of a sudden, you're closer than you were before. Yeah. Right, so here's a, 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 a step, this is a question. Research indicates that most people who do what we think of as negative things, saying nasty stuff in relationships, the anger to the, the, the reason they're doing it when you interview them is that they think this will save the relationship. They may be confused about this. You say, how could they think that? It's very simple. You are doing this thing which annoys the hell out of me forever. And if you continue to do this, we cannot be friends anymore. So I will solve this problem by telling you, stop doing it. Cut the hell out. Don't do that anymore. I'm thinking this will save the relationship. It turns out that research indicates that in point of fact, as crazy as it sounds, and then said, that means the conversation and somehow or other starts to reveal both parties one to the other. Why are you so angry about what's going on? So you start to talk about yourself, you talk about themselves, and by the time this tuba process is over, imagine a young kipper like day between two people like that. You know, instead of a shaman bagadan, you're thinking to yourself, this is who I am. You're telling your story. By the time you're finished, it's true, the day began with this nasty moment. But by the end, you're closer than you've ever been before. You wake up and you realize you're closer than you've ever been before. It's a famous line in a certain popular song that, where he's described, they're describing their long-term relationship. And he said, you know, all the things that happened to us, the negative stuff, in the end only brought us closer together. So it is possible that people reveal themselves and make it open the way you refuse yourself to God when you say, this is why I did it, this is how I did it. All of a sudden, there's nothing so something in the movie as somebody showing how vulnerable they are and what it means to them. And all of a sudden, you find it in your heart, I don't care. Yes, I was very embarrassed. I don't care about it. Just see how vulnerable you are. I'm gonna, let's make it work together again. So what was the Zadon? An intentional, bad, wrong thing all of a sudden, by the end of the day, is a zuchut has made the relationship closer than it was. That's one example. Let's for others, yeah. So, I mean, the most beautiful image that I know of this process, and it might have been the one that taught it to me, and I think from a cook, is when you're uh, when you do something wrong, uh, you cut off the umbilical cord, so you cut off the um, the relationship with God and the other person, um, and uh, to the ties, you're tying it back together again, and each time you tie it, you can be closer. Right. So each cut, you know, you've lost it again, but each time you get closer that, together. You know, much, and you're that much closer than you ever were before. Yes. 
because there's a, there are natural connections. These are cases of, the first case was relationship connections. This is natural connections. If you use a metaphor of an umbilical cord, there are certain natural relationships that we have. Family relationships is an example like that, or an example like that. Okay. And you think to yourself, we are naturally interconnected, the way we are all naturally interconnected to God. I know Cook's view and mine as well. Okay. You don't have to wake up and say, do I have a relationship with God? You do. The only question is how much you want to heat it up or not. Okay. It's not like you have to somewhere go off and find it. You have it sitting right in front of you. The way, you know, if your mother and father love you, you don't need to make a relationship with them. When you're a kid, you learn that you just what? You plug into that relationship. They're waiting. They're sitting there waiting. It's not something new. You have, there's an intimate connection. And if you do tshuva miyava, what you're saying is, I'm not doing this because I'm afraid. What I'm doing is looking for some kind of a way to make real what is seen as the natural relationship, the natural closeness we ought to have. Okay? We define ourselves as naturally close to God, meaning we wake up from the moment of our creation deeply connected to God. We just, but the only way to get there is to, to, to love. But it's the same thing with people. And you think to yourself, yes, you know, I said, there's a reason why my father was so upset all day because he lost his temper with me. Because it, it's a total violation of what's what. Of that. It's not that he wants things to go better. It flies in the face of how close we are. You don't do that. And that happens all the time. Okay, other examples of where when you, when you do chuba miyava, chuba from love, it takes something which originally you saw as intentional, etc. And because now it's loving, it's meaning to bring close together, all of a sudden this, this is a merit. We've had two examples. Any others that come to mind? Yeah? Well, it could be rebelling against your parents yep. and then in the end becoming more religious and becoming more loving or you know, understanding. Having, that's a great example. You, know, you can count... We, if we put, we couldn't fill up the building with the number of times that that's happened to some people. But you're a teenager, you're getting older, you know. Part of the goal is they don't understand me. Goodbye to them. I'm going away. All that kind of stuff, right? Teenage folks are better. It's not necessarily bad in the worst sense of the term, but it's part of the story, and it is. It's not done. It's intentional. Okay. And then somehow or other, there's a process. Actually, in families, there usually is an actual process that the kids and parents know what to do. In my father used to take me out for a chocolate motion. That would show we were back together. And there was always some kind of ritual you engage in that shows we're together again. And part of it is, but are you get together again? Yeah, more than together. We're closer than we were before. We're closer. It's huge. It's fight. Think to yourself, really, if you just saw the thing itself, it would look like the worst possible thing. But when you step back and see the whole story, it's the only way to go. By the way, it is true. It strikes me that if you raise kids, there are some kids who just grow up and they're just everything goes smooth. But most kids are not like this. There's always a period of time when to have your own identity, you've got to be having an identity against somebody. And that's not pretty. But you can say yes, of course. But everybody who has children understands this from the very beginning. Nobody says, "Oh, what a surprise! They turned 12 or 13. They developed a mouth like you never saw. Of course, they developed a mouth like the mouth you had when you were 12 or 13. Everybody has aware of this." The same way everybody's aware that people forget to invite the guy across the street or what, or that they get confused as to who they put in, what the right policy, ethical policy is. Okay. But in case of the Baba, the motive is different. See, the motive, the, the, the Chuba Ma'aba says, we're going to fix this thing. We're going to tell the story so that the next part of the story is positive rather than negative. Up until now, this was negative. But the next part's going to be different. 
What can I do in between? So Yom Kippur is a good step. Yom Kippur means put yourself on hold. That's a good piece of advice. Okay. Put yourself on hold. Stop worrying about meaning what you've been trying to hear. What's going to move this forward? You can keep yourself as a, well, move this forward is revealing myself a little more. So, you know, I, it's funny to reveal myself. Somebody just said something hurt, but I will anyway. And the next thing you know, things are getting better. So, you know, give us a good model for that. Stop worrying about yourself all the time and look instead towards fixing the bigger, what story you can tell that makes more sense. But the question you're asking is, the tshuva question is, what can I do that will mean that something that really is wrong in, in, in the, the beginning of the story is actually better than it could possibly have been by the end of the story? So these are all examples of how that actually happens. Of how that actually happens here. So you're not in control of how the other person is going to react. That's correct. So we're looking perfect. That's correct. So in the end, if, if revealing yourself is really revealing yourself to yourself, then you've changed. What, whether he accepts your apology, knowing that information. I but I think the story will still end better. It would end better for you. Right. That there is, but when it comes to God, when there is no, you know, you I mean, it's, right. then um, it's your perception. I don't, it, it, there's, it, there is a change in you that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're going to get a hug. You're not getting, you're not shaking hands, you're not going out to eat together. But somehow, I guess for people with God, I don't know this for the rest of you. With me, with God, it works like this. Somehow or other, I have this moon of this faith that if I'm honest and settle up with God, that I do not have to worry that the rest of the story will make sense in a positive way, somehow or other. Whatever is going to happen. And I've seen people dying and told me that they felt that way. Meaning, that positive doesn't actually mean I get everything I want if you put yourself on hold. Really, frankly, say God doesn't work for us. When you, want to talk, when you talk to God, you can't say, I'm willing to be sorry for what I did as long as after we leave this, I go out from your keeper and, 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 and I make a million dollars on this day. That's not how it's going to play out. What you get from God is something else. But I think, yeah, you're right. There's no, the same way you can screw up a sacrifice in basically because you can screw up anything. But on the other hand, you're looking for what's going to move you along. And this advice says, put, Yom Kippur says, put yourself on hold. What are you doing, Yom Kippur? Stop thinking about eating people. Just focus instead on what will move the story along one step further. Okay? And don't worry that the thing you did originally was really awful. Of course it was awful. But you're going to turn it into something which, at the end of the story, you still regret having done that. But you can't go back and change it. What you can do is tell the story so that at the end, you're closer than you were before. You're closer than whether you're talking about God, or whether you're talking next to your next-door neighbor, or your guy across the street, or the people you should give a ride to, or whatever else it might be. And that's the Avodah of Kippur, in this kind of way of looking at it. It looks to be a miracle, but it's not, because we all see this all the time. That if you, if you reach out, if you make a big mistake, but if you reach out in love, you get very different results. Now, you had a question. I don't know. If you make a... She mentioned something about what you said. You can move on, you can grow, you can be happy with yourself, but the other person still does not. Right, and here's what, and that's the Ashabat Tabuli case. I don't know whether or not this has been fixed. That Yom Kippur by itself is not magic. I don't know if it's been fixed. And I, until that's clarified, there's not a thing I can do about it. That's the Ashabat case. 
Well, yeah, the story, the, the, the something can't be fixed, meaning you can't fix it as if they were alive, but you can fix it so that the stories are. They used to have, you remember the old, we're getting close to the end, but do you remember the old, what do you do if you, if you sin against somebody who's dead? You get a minion together, you go to this cemetery, you bang on the grave, and in front of ten people you apologize for what they did. Okay, now, you think to yourself, we wouldn't do that, but you can see how in a small town how effective that would be. You could think for a minute, what do I feel like? I really, everybody in town knows I insulted this person. Of course they don't insult this person. And they, nobody thinks I care. And I get ten people and I go to his grave and I bang on the grave and I, I ask them to forgive me. And that changes everything. That changes everything. And it is true. I mean, if you had somebody, let's say, who mistreated somebody most of their life, I would say, if they go to the grave and tell them you're really very sorry. That's the only dress that they have. Okay? Well, you can say. And what I can say is nobody who ever did that, again, it's a selected group, so nobody who ever did that said they didn't cry. They just cried. They just blubbered away at the grave. I don't know why, because they came there to want to fix it up. Now, you know, this is about Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is one way of doing it, but we need lots of Yom Kippurs in that kind of way. And the Yom Kippur we have coming up, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, this looks to be, when you first read it, because in the, in the count books it doesn't work, but life on my theory for the first time in the count is a story of relationships. The accounting language, legal language is there to, to help you find balance between things. Legal virtue is balance. I did this, I balanced it off of that. I did this, I balanced it off of that. I should have done that, I balanced it off by doing this instead. So you're looking for ways in which you can do that. And these texts get you asking the right questions. My answer is, you don't study this kind of immersive that you have the answers to how to your life. You study it because it gets you asking the right questions and points you in the right direction for doing what you want to do, which is to me out if you can possibly do it. Anyway, take and think about it. It's part of time. Think about it, and if you have any more insights, Please feel free to contact me. I use this in other groups. I use your stories to illustrate things. Thank you.